0: This is Brand & New, from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. So I would like to thank the law firm Juan IP for being the sponsor of this episode of Brand & New. Welcome to Brand & New, I am Audrey Dove. While counterfeit and fake goods are available almost everywhere, online and offline, manufacturing and exportation is highly monopolized by a handful of countries. In the US, the Department of Homeland Security reported seizures of counterfeit goods at US borders have increased tenfold over the past two decades, with nearly 90% of seized products in 2018 arriving from mainland China or Hong Kong. Many countries and platforms have been trying to implement strategies to fight counterfeit sales online. In the US, the most recent trade deal between President Trump and China, entered into back in 2020, requires both countries to combat the prevalence of counterfeit or pirated goods, advocating for effective enforcement actions when private platforms fail to prevent IP infringement. What does the counterfeiting markets and dynamics look like today, and have they evolved over the recent years? What is also the role played by China? How are recent infrastructure projects, and particularly the new Silk Roads, that set up a trade corridor between China and other regions, changing conversation? Toesu Ong is the co-founder and director of Elip, a consultancy firm providing strategic government relations, corporate affairs and communication services, including advising companies on the protection of their intellectual property. Before setting up this company, Toesu spent 20 years working at British American Tobacco, where she carried out a variety of roles, including leading the legal and corporate affairs teams on IP protection, and policy issues, as well as driving global strategies for addressing illicit trade. In addition, Toesu has been an active INTM member for more than 15 years and was its president in 2013, which has given her extensive experience of engaging on IP issues with governments, media and companies across all sectors. Toesu, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: No, thank you so much for having me.
0: Counterfeiting has been a significant problem for brand owners and consumers for a very long time. Is it still a big problem? And I'm not sure it's a real question. Are brands dealing with it in the same way as before, or are they doing things differently? Um, So
1: yes, I am afraid that counterfeiting is still a significant problem for brand owners and consumers. Um, And it has been that way for more than 20 years. So I'll give you some official statistics, according to the latest um, OECD report, which is called Global Trade in Fakes, a Worrying Threat, that was published this year in 2021, but it's a report that is based on 2019 data. So the OECD in that report gives an estimated volume of international trade in counterfeit and pirated products in the value of US dollars, $464 billion in that year, or 2.5% of world trade. Um, However, I will always cite um, the BASCAP and INTA-funded Frontier Economics Report, which was published in 2016 because it looked beyond just the value of counterfeits and pirated goods traded internationally, and it also looked at domestic and online infringement and wider costs such as displaced legitimate activity, job losses, and the costs of IP crime. So, in that report, the total forecast economic impact for 2022 was estimated at 1.9 to 2.8 trillion for the global value of counterfeit and pirated goods, and 1.5 to 1.87 trillion for wider economic and social costs. So, I'm afraid it is still a huge problem for brand owners. So in terms of your second question, which is, you know, are brands dealing with it in the same way as before? I can say that actually, you know, in many ways, they are dealing with this in the same way as, you know, more than 20 years ago. It is always about causing as much um, pain to the criminals who are committing the crime of counterfeiting. And that sort of... um, theory still stands today. However, some of the detail is quite different today. So 20 something years ago, we knew a a bit less about getting to the manufacturing source. Um, Probably brands were more focused on the retail side, physical retail side, because that was the more obvious thing where we could see the counterfeit goods on sale. Um, today, it's still about hitting, going to the manufacturing source. It is still about getting to the criminals which make and sell the product and trying to get them prosecuted or, get, or incur as much pain as possible on them. However, the complication today is that counterfeiters you know, use much more complicated methods of distribution. So there is a lot more involvement uh, of intermediaries, such as e-commerce platforms, social media, carriers, including shipping and the carriers, advertisers. And all these parties are not involved in the illegal manufacture by itself, but they all have a sort of a role to play inadvertently in the distribution of counterfeit goods. So brands have to work with all these parties, which makes things more complicated. But it also provides more opportunities as well. So another, another intermediary is banks. So brands and, and trade associations also work with banks to cut off the funding source. And all these things basically work together to attack and frustrate the counterfeit supply chain.
0: China has been reported to be the center of gravity of counterfeiting production globally for quite some time. Uh, No retail product seems to be spared from cosmetics to electronics via clothing and accessories and automotive parts. Uh, Is it still the country that brands worry about the most?
1: Yes. I think it still is. So again, back to the OECD again, Uh, according to the OECD, China is still the biggest source by share of custom seizures and by share of seized counterfeits. So it is followed closely in both of these categories by Hong Kong, but then Turkey, Singapore and the UAE also round up the top five. But if you look at specific product categories, um, if you look in the OECD report for specific product categories, other countries also make the list in terms of a production source for for different product categories. So, for example, India for cosmetics and perfume, um, Bangladesh and Vietnam for apparel as well. So, in one word, China is the biggest problem. And the UK IPO recently commissioned a study into the cross-border trade and counterfeits between China and Southeast Asia because to be honest, there is a suspicion many brands feel that a lot of the pr- production sources for counterfeits of their products have started to see a shift. However, this UK IPO report um, concluded that there was no widespread shift of counterfeiting activity from China to other countries in the region. Um, and they said that there was China's strong counterfeit supply chain network, infrastructure. Knowledge base and quality are not things that can be easily replicated in Southeast Asian countries just yet. But as I say, there is a little bit of a suspicion that this is starting to happen. There are also um, transshipment countries, countries where there are ports, countries where free trade zones are located, and countries that, that seem to be more of a distribution hub for a region. So if you look at another OECD report, it's a 2017 report called Mapping the Real Route of Trades and Fakes. Um, The UAE, Saudi Arabia, and Yemen are said to be key transit points for shipping fakes into Africa. Albania, Egypt, Morocco, and Ukraine seem to serve as transit points for fakes entering the EU, and Panama for goods getting into the USA. Um, of course, we cannot forget that there are many countries that have e-commerce platforms. Um, China also has significant e-commerce platforms as well, but there are countries outside of China. Um, and brands need to monitor these, these platforms as well and, and deal with the countries where the platforms are situated. So, for example, there are many, um, important platforms in Southeast Asia and there are some in, um, Latin America and Poland, Ukraine, Russia, and many, many more as well.
0: You you talked earlier about uh, banks and uh, other intermediaries. Are they cooperative generally and helpful when it comes to dealing with counterfeits? What's your concrete experience on this?
1: So generally speaking, yes, definitely intermediaries are generally cooperative and helpful when it comes to dealing with counterfeits. You do have to look at the different categories of um, intermediaries. So generally the large e-commerce platforms, the big global ones that we've seen, they have come a very long way in dealing with counterfeits. Many of them have good practices on know your customer, now, uh, terms of service under which they terminate arrangements by people who've been caught dealing with counterfeits, and many of them work closely with brands and with law enforcement collectively. However, the landscape keeps changing. And they, as I said, there are also many new and emerging platforms in different countries, different parts of the world, such as the ones in South Korea, uh, Russia, Korea, etc. And we do find that many of them are willing to explore ways of Um, dealing with fakes. They really want to find solutions and they really want to improve their processes and constantly improve their processes. And they do want, they're willing to work with brand owners. So it's a good sign generally. I mean, I think it does take time for this philosophy of wanting to fight fakes in, on their, on platforms. Um, you know, take some time for that philosophy to spread. But there, I do perceive that fighting counterfeits effectively seems to be part of a good business model for e-commerce platforms. And we do hope that this will continue to spread as new platforms emerge as well. You know, the governments do help with that whole thing about intermediaries and their and their role. So, for e-commerce platforms, there is a there is an EU MOU um, between platforms and brands, which has been in in existence now for quite a few years. And there are new MOUs in Thailand and the Philippines between platforms and brands as well. And I think the Thai one also in, involves government departments. So, all these MOUs sort of help facilitate the dialogue and the exchange of ideas ideas between platforms and brands and government and just make sure that there is more cooperation in you know between all the parties in terms of tackling counterfeits so i think governments definitely do play a role and the laws in this area the regulatory framework is also evolving quite quickly is at the moment as you might be aware that there is two pending pieces of legislation in the european union digital services act and the digital markets act and there is also pending legislation in the us ShopSafe, as well as Inform Informed Consumer Act, and indeed, um, new legislation in China, which is all interesting and very, very helpful in making sure that intermediaries play a, a strong role in dealing with counterfeits as well.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about the shipping companies and also okay. the way uh, they cooperate with brand owners. What's also there your experience?
1: Generally speaking, large shipping companies are definitely very willing to help and cooperate with brands. Um and this is all part of the recognition that the issue is criminal, counterfeiting is a criminal criminal act, and, and all parties, including um carriers and shippers, are really willing to do what they can to stop that. So it is the the challenge is about putting in place systems and then constantly improving um systems and procedures by Collaborating and exchanging views with brands and with government, so I think it's it's a it's a constantly moving sort of uh,
0: process. Uh, do you identify some gaps that need to be improved, uh, in your view, in this cooperation with brand owners?
1: Um, so it's it's difficult to say there are gaps necessarily. I mean, it is about constant improvement. So it is always about being one step ahead of the counterfeiter because a counterfeiter is very versatile and is actually always one step ahead of everybody. So it is about understanding what methods the counterfeiter is using to, in terms of using the intermediaries that, like the e-commerce platforms as an example, and it, it is about then Trying to brainstorm how we can be ahead of it. So I think it's, it's about this constant catch up process and that can only happen by, you know, brands and platforms and government agencies constantly working together. But one big issue um, that I must mention is: is is there is a complication with social media because, by the nature of the platforms, and the private groups and messaging functions that is available to users, a lot of the sale of counterfeits on these social media platforms happens sort of behind closed doors. And this was recently highlighted by a a recent EU IPo social media discussion paper published in in this year. So I think that so there are some issues there and, and also looking at the public facing side of social media there are issues with the use of advertising again placed by third parties on the platforms, so not not any involvement of the social media platforms um but placed by third parties on platforms like facebook and instagram to direct unsuspecting users to external sites selling counterfeits and in in some cases the buyer might get a counterfeit product or might get scammed so this is something that does still need more brainstorming and discussion, and this is an issue that was uh, highlighted in a recent report by uh, dated July twenty twenty by TraceIt and the AAFA
0: as well. So I would like to thank the law firm OneWider IP for being the sponsor of this episode of Brand New. Let's turn now to the new Silk Roads project and its potential impact on counterfeit distribution. In 2013, President Xi Jinping announced a massive infrastructure project aimed at setting up a brand new double trade corridor to reopen terrestrial and maritime channels between China and its neighbor in the West. In your view, Toisu, do these new infrastructures is distribution of counterfeits throughout the west um to be honest um audrey you know it does it's we've been monitoring this
1: for a while and um it does seem as if it would but to be honest there is no data to substantiate this the the uk ipo report that i referenced just now which covered china and southeast asia concluded that at the moment there is no evidence yet that this will have any impact on the region in in terms of um, Southeast Asia. You know, we don't know. We can guess that it might Um, have a significant impact, but at the moment we don't know. What we are aware of is that there are challenges on, for instance, the railway route on the route of, of the train, for instance, into Kazakhstan or when it arrives in the EU in Poland, where national customs might not be empowered or sufficiently resourced to stop or search shipments. However, this is probably something we can guess at, but we do not have enough data to substantiate
0: this. How does it pose more challenges on issues such as uh, national customs and, and board controls?
1: I think that um, it will be challenging because um, products will be moving in transit or in transshipment might not necessarily be bound to stop within that route it is going continuously on a route and it's sometimes not clear if the regulatory uh, framework within that country would allow national customs to actually seize the products in a particular country and and you know I here I'm not talking about any specific countries but on all the countries on that route Um, So it might not be clear that they're empowered to seize it or sufficiently resourced as well. So there is a potential complication that we probably need to think about and plan for in the future.
0: Would you have any advice for brand owners?
1: Um, yes, I think that, uh, brand owners just have to be aware constantly about, you know, collecting data. So I think the essence of this is to say that brand owners need to monitor what happens, but substantiated with proper data, proper numbers, and actually keep track of where they seize goods, where the problems are, what the numbers are, how these counterfeit goods are finding their way in different ways, different distribution channels, um, and then monitor this, record it, and then also work with others in making sort of changing information, collecting information, and and making sure that authorities are aware of these issues, um, governments are aware of the trends, and trade associations are aware, such as Inter, and that everybody understands what the plan might be or or brainstorms solutions around these issues.
0: And at the end of the day, is fighting counterfeits globally an issue of political goodwill, institutional communications or enforcement resources?
1: I think it's it's a bit of everything that you've mentioned. We do think that political will is absolutely paramount. Um, a strong legislative framework. Governments have a big role to play in terms of setting up a strong legislative framework. They also have to set up good enforcement structure. They have to set up, make sure that it's properly resourced, that there is cooperation and intelligence sharing between countries um, and, and also between brands and platforms and legislative and um, law enforcement authorities as well. So all these things are kind of part of the political will. But it also is key to have cooperation between the public and private sector. Um, As I said before, criminals are always one step ahead, so we always need to keep in pace. And also, players need to be ready to respond because criminals are just not waiting for us to catch up. So it is essential to be adaptable to monitor carefully and to respond and react in the right way and to do it quite quickly and nimbly. So that's another essential thing that I would say is an important issue in terms of fighting this issue globally.
0: I now have few rapid-fire questions for you. <laughs> an overlooked yet critical piece of advice for any business that would be totally new to counterfeiting considerations For anybody new to this issue, we will say to
1: you, you might think your issues are brand new and very unique, but actually many others would have treaded the same path that you were about to get on. So don't reinvent the wheel, okay? Always work with others, always talk to other people, try and learn from them. It really is the same journey, um, with a few differences, of course. Um, So talk to the others, cooperate with them, learn from them, and work together as well. Work together as an industry to share resources. Work together with other industries to share know-how and knowledge and to talk to governments and law enforcement in order to constantly stay on top of the system and to try and change things and improve things. So I would say the essential piece of advice is please work with others.
0: A word that would summarize uh, this year for you?
1: Uh, so I would say one word is transition. We were we were hoping to get here, but we're not here yet. So we're still in transition. <laughs> but we, but hope is another yet another word to use to to summarize this year as well. And my last question: the last book you have read and
0: you would recommend?
1: Um, so the last book I read thank God I just I just finished reading it two weeks ago is, um, is called Clara and the Sun and it's by a British author called Kazuo Ishiguro, um, so it's a British author with a Japanese name and uh, it's basically about the um, learnings of the human mind and human relationships really seen through the eye of a co- I'll use an old-fashioned term a robot but basically. <laughs> An artif- a creature of artificial in- intelligence, and it's
0: beautifully written. Thank you very much, Toesu.
1: Thanks, Audrey. That's great. Thank you so much.
0: My guest today was Toesu Ong, the co-founder and director of Elipe, a consultancy firm providing strategic government relations, corporate affairs and communication services based in London, UK. So, I would like to thank the law firm Oneweda IP for being the sponsor of this episode of Brand & New. Now, I'm pleased to welcome Zhu Zhegang, partner at Oneweda IP in Beijing, and the sponsor of this episode of Brand New. He has been an attorney at law and admitted to practice in China since 2007. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Audrey. So, Gong, what are the legal actions available to tackle counterfeiting in China and how can the brand owners make the best use of them? Could you please share maybe one or two case studies that demonstrate the efficiency of anti-counterfeiting strategies?
2: Yes, sure. China does provide several legal actions to fight counterfeiting. Each legal procedure has its own pros and cons. The administrative raid is a very cost-efficient legal action, very particular to China. The enforcement agency, now called the Administration for Market Regulation, the AMR, is empowered to inspect and raid the counterfeiters, confiscate and destroy counterfeit goods, and impose a fine. It usually takes around one or two weeks to arrange a raid action, and the three to six months to obtain the penalty decision. A pure counterfeiting case, not including the look-alike infringement. When the illegal turnover exceeds 8,000 US dollar, the police may carry out criminal investigations and raise and launch criminal prosecution process by putting the counterfeiters in jail and imposing huge number of fines. The criminal prosecution is certainly the most deterrent action that trademark owner can expect. Comparing with uh, the other uh, remedies I just mentioned. Civil action in China has several advantages. For example, they are more transparent, they allow a compensation award. It is also possible to request for a preliminary injunction and property preservation measures. However, the uh, civil procedure is also known as very time consuming and most costly. But a combined and comprehensive enforcement strategy may help to achieve a better result. I can share two cases with you. Uh, in the first one, uh, fake Bordeaux wine was detected in the biggest wine trade fair in Chengdu. Uh, the red holder immediately filed a complaint with local AMR and successfully took down the counterfeits. The case was then transferred to Shanghai Intellectual Property Office, where the counterfeit located. After two months' careful investigation, an administrative raid was carried out and a lot of fake Bordeaux wine was seized. Since the case value largely go beyond the criminal threshold, the case was transferred to the police for criminal investigation. And finally, the counterfeiters were sentenced for one and a half year imprisonment and a prohibition from being engaged in food production and distribution business. So on top of the very smooth and efficient cooperation between the law enforcement agencies in different cities, this is also very important criminal enforcement of GI collective trademark in China. And another case is about a conflict between Andrew Steel, the manufacturer of the famous orange and uh, black chain saws, and a counterfeiting family operating under several legal entities. They had been uh, raided several times since twenty fourteen and had never stopped infringing the steel trademark. Uh, the quantities seized were more than sufficient to justify criminal prosecution. Considering the losses suffered over the years, Andrew Steele decided to try on a civil lawsuit incidental to the criminal prosecution and obtained about 80,000 US dollars as damages. At the same time, the court adopted all the recommendations made by the public prosecutor and pronounced a sentence of prison from two to three years, against the counterfeiting family members. I hope these two cases can somehow demonstrate how to make best use of the different legal actions in China. Now, Chinese courts are very open-minded regarding the damage claim and do not hesitate to apply punitive damages against bad faith counterfeiters. I believe the civil damage is something that the brand owner may further explore in combating the counterfeiting in China. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.